This is the Insulone podcast, where I, Owen Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode... I would do the, these workouts. It'd be, you know, like a short sprint type workout, eight minutes long, and have normal blood sugar. And the next thing I know, I'll look at my uh, glucose and... I'm like 450, 500. I'm like, what's going on? Like, this doesn't make sense. But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulone podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes, please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. Good afternoon and welcome back to the Insulone podcast with myself, Owen. It's always a pleasure to have you here, to have your ears and your attention each week and you are absolutely going to love this episode. The guest that I have on today is Mr. Dex Geralds. He is from Michigan but living in LA. He's a personal trainer, he is a fitness model and has an unbelievable story. He was misdiagnosed as a type 2 diabetic for over 10 years and lived his life as somebody living with type 2 until it finally got to a stage where he just knew deep down something was not right. And ultimately, he was then diagnosed, finally diagnosed as a type 1 diabetic. An unbelievable story. I don't want to tell the whole story because Dex tells it a lot better than I do. So please enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it and connecting with Dex. And I will speak to you shortly. Dex, did you move to... LA and when have you met these Irish people that do CrossFit? Um, so I moved to LA actually about nine years ago as of two days ago. <laughs> um, oh, wow. So I was living in Boston and didn't really like it out there all that much and I had some friends here so moved to LA and uh, it's crazy too because that's when I was first diagnosed with diabetes a couple months before I moved to LA. And uh, got to L.A. and <laughs> moved into kind of a bad living situation. So I was homeless for uh, almost six months. And uh, luckily, I uh, booked a modeling gig with Ray-Bans. And that gave me enough money to find an apartment. And since then, I uh, got into fitness as my main thing. For not only I feel like it's my purpose, but also to make money out here in LA. Yeah. So yeah, that's about 10 years or nine years ago, I think, that I moved to LA. So what were you doing when you were homeless for that time? I was pretty much just like couch surfing for the most part, um, finding places to stay. I don't know how PG this is, but I would I was working at a bar and you know, sometimes I would uh, you know, meet people and women <laughs> and uh so i would like stay with them for a little bit and uh a free night essentially yeah pretty much <laughs> yeah and um yeah so I, I don't know i was just really trying to survive and at that time i was working three jobs i was working at a cafe working at a bar and i was working for ups and yeah i was just trying to save enough money to put down a down payment and the last month's rent and then luckily I uh, met some people who told me I should get into modeling and acting and get some free pictures done, sent that out. And that's how I got the Ray-Bans job. And that was the last amount of money that I needed to find an apartment. Oddly enough, I still live in that apartment today. So it's pretty cool. So where do you feel you would be if you didn't get that Ray-Bans gig? 
Um, I mean, I think I'd still be in a good spot. I was just really, really working, trying to save up enough money. The the Ray-Bans just really probably saved me another month of being homeless. Um, but also like just the Ray-Bans gig was just like a stepping stone and like I could do other things in LA and not just, uh, not just like fitness or my background is in hospitality. So working in restaurants, um, so it just gave me another avenue to kind of explore and it was kind of cool to, uh, be on the modeling side of the camera and learning all the things about like Hollywood and, and how the industry works. Mm. So is that part of what you still do now? Um, more now is just that I've really dove into fitness and helping people through that way. I still do every now and then I will audition for something TV, nothing really big on TV, but I audition for TV and my friends who have clothing companies or fitness companies, I do modeling for them, but it's not something that I, uh, pursue the way I did when I first moved to LA. So when you moved to LA, that was that kind of your goal. Like that's why you're going to LA. You want to get into that full time. It was in the back of my mind. Like getting to LA was just because I was miserable in Boston. Um, okay. okay. Not that Boston's a bad city or anything. It's just not, it was just wasn't for me. And I had friends here and I had just one that really bad night in Boston. And that same night, my friend texted me and just out of the blue said, Hey, move to LA. And within a month I moved to LA. Yeah. And then I got out here and wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I just knew that I wanted to do something, something in the industry. And uh, luckily I met the right people who helped me achieve that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I would imagine LA is the kind of place that if you're a good people person, you can meet a lot of people, you know, and if it's like that type of city, probably similar to New York, there's so many people in a, in a very small space probably doing a lot of incredible things. So if you meet the right people doing something you're into, you can land something good, I would imagine, like that Ray Bans gig. Yeah, this I think I think the biggest thing is just being a genuine person. Um there is a lot of in LA a lot of people who use people for to get ahead. You can kind of see that with people, but when you're like a genuine person, you find other genuine people and a lot of people connect through that way. So but yeah, similar to to New York, and I think like the same attitude towards achieving your dreams is kind of the same. So like a lot, you find a lot of common ground with people here. So do you feel now that you've mentioned it? Do you feel your dream has changed slightly since even moving to LA? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing now is I think my purpose in life is just helping people, and I'm most knowledgeable in fitness, so that's my gift and. That's pretty much what I want to do. Everything else is just secondary. Um, luckily, through fitness, I've been able to make workout videos. And so I'm still kind of in the industry. It's just not in the way that I thought I would be. Hmm. Like I said to you before we pressed record, I was really looking forward to this chat decks because me and you have been following each other on Instagram for quite some time. And I always love seeing your videos on Instagram because you're quite clearly massively into fitness <laughs> and you're a very you look like a str very strong person you look like a very fit person and what i always found fascinating was the fact that you had been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes and 
generally speaking, people will often associate type two with, you know, somebody who might look unhealthy or somebody who might look overweight. And for you, that's obviously the complete opposite. But only relatively recently, you've now been re-diagnosed as type one. So I've been really looking forward to hearing a bit of that story. But how did you even initially kind of come about the type two diagnosis? Yeah. So again, back when I was in Boston, I, um, you know, I was thirsty a lot and I was using the bathroom a lot and I would be really irritable and I'm just a naturally like happy person and like not really knowing what was going on with me. And I was, at that time I was really, really into competing in CrossFit. So everything I consumed was eating was CrossFit, watching TV was CrossFit. So I got on YouTube and there was a CrossFit athlete on there who had type one diabetes and he started talking about his symptoms and knowing my family history of diabetes, I was like, well, maybe I have it. So let me go get checked. Went to the doctor, told him I think I have diabetes and they checked uh, my glucose levels. And I think I was not super high, but pretty high, but not super high. I was like at a 450 or something like that. And the doctor's like, yeah, sure enough, you have diabetes. Um, didn't really test me for anything else. Just told me I'm going to put you on metformin. And like, I think it was two other drugs. And, you know, I just believe whatever a doctor says. So, you know, I got the diagnosis and it's kind of like strange to me because again, I grew up with a family history of diabetes. So that was one thing I knew I didn't want to have. So and for the most part, I always ate pretty healthy. I've always been active. But again, the family history. So yeah, I'm like, the doctor's right. Let me figure out what's the best course for this to um, manage my diabetes. And yeah, so, you know, in the last 19 years, I've been managing my diabetes as a type 2 diabetic. And, you know, I'm still working out. I'm still eating well, eating low carb. And my numbers would be good for a week. And then all of a sudden, they'd just be all over the place for like the next four or five weeks. Now it was kind of a, a cycle for a while, and I'm just very optimistic. So I figured one day I'll figure out what's going to work best for me. And I have diabetic clients who come in and they lose weight and their numbers are good. And I'm like, things are working well for them, but like, why aren't things working well for me? And then um, finally, probably five months ago, I got with a diabetes specialist. Um, she looked at my Libre view for my Freestyle Libre, and she said we should probably test for antibodies and we did and came back that I was actually a type one diabetic the entire time, which makes a lot of sense because the way I was controlling my blood sugar was through um, steady state cardio. So I would do that 30 minutes to an hour almost every day to have my numbers be in the right space. So yeah, definitely lucky that I got with a diabetes specialist and it also, it came from a sponsorship. <laughs> so uh, that was also a blessing to be able to have someone reach out to me for a sponsorship and then do exactly what they are supposed to do and help people manage their diabetes. So <laughs> that it sounds unbelievable. Like, so for, te- for 10 years, you were essentially managing your health and your lifestyle as a type two, but the whole time you were actually type one. Yes. Yeah. This, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's pretty crazy. It's like, I don't know, like I, I would do the, these workouts. It'd be, you know, like a short sprint type workout, eight minutes long. 
and have normal blood sugar. And the next thing I know, I'll look at my uh, glucose and I'm like 450, 500. I'm like, what's going on? Like, this doesn't make sense. Why are my numbers jumping <laughs> up so high? Like I do a CrossFit competition and that's three workouts in the day. And they're usually because they're so big, they're short, fast workouts. And my numbers would be over 400 and then eventually to come down before the next workout and then it jump back up again. And I'm like, yeah. Or like, oh, I hop on a bike in between workouts and do 30 minutes of like a slow steady state cardio just to get my numbers back to normal before the next workout. So yeah, it's a lot of things that didn't make sense to me. But again, like I, I'm kind of just like, if someone tells me to do something and they are from like a believable source that I'm just going to do that. Like no questions asked. I'm kind of like, it's kind of how I've always been, especially with sports. Like if my coach said, train this way, you'll be good. I trained that way and I was good. So, yeah. And I'm, I'm assuming then Dex based off the fact that you said there was kind of family history with, with diabetes. Was that type two diabetes that you have some family history? Yeah, it was type two. But I'm kind of curious now, just like growing up, and I remember my watching my mom take insulin and then some of the last conversations I had with her before she passed away about diabetes. Now that I look back at them, I kind of wonder if my mom was maybe a type one, maybe like, um, is it Lada, I think? Mm. But, um, but like a lot of times she had told me like her blood sugar would drop really low and, um, she was on insulin and like, I'm kind of thinking that maybe she might've been misdiagnosed as well, which actually oh. happens to be pretty common. When I thought I was type two, I've met a few people who told me that it did, my numbers didn't seem right. And I should probably go get the antibody test done. And, and in my mind, I'm like, how could my doctors be wrong? But they were people who were also diagnosed as type two, but later on figured out or found out that they were type one. Whoa, that's mad. So do you feel as if Dex, because of your family history, there was kind of part of you that didn't question the type two diagnosis as much because it was almost like, well, other people in my family have had it. So surely it must be type two. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much how it felt. And um, I read a lot and a lot of the literature said like if diabetes runs in your family, um, especially if you're uh, black, um, Latino or something like that, like there's a good chance that you might develop diabetes as well, type two diabetes specifically. So yeah, I mean, from the literature, from my family history, I just figured um, that was the correct diagnosis. So I, I'm, I'm even just trying to put this together. So when it comes to the differences with, with type one and type two, there can be quite drastic levels of treatment or medication each day so what was a normal day for you medication wise looking like when you were type 2 um like so, you mentioned insulin you mentioned metformin what sort of doses or numbers were you on um so i just recently started insulin which has been a lifesaver okay. but um so when i was managing my diabetes as a type 2 I would take metformin twice a day, um, usually with breakfast and then again at dinner. Um, later on, when the metformin kind of stopped working for me, they put me on glipizide, which also helped a lot in the beginning. And then 
eventually stop working. So my numbers were never really like every now and then it'd be it's like, it's crazy. Like I go on a long walk or something and my numbers would be around like my glucose would be like 130, 140, somewhere around there. But normally I was always over 200. And in the last time I got my A1C checked before I started insulin, um, my A1C was at 8.9 or something like that. So something pretty high. Um, but not crazy high for someone managing their diabetes as a type two. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. So, but the, the biggest thing is just burnout, like always having to go jogging for a 5k or, or almost a 10k sometimes to get my numbers down or hopping on a rowing machine and rowing for an hour. Like during the pandemic, I brought a rower for that reason is just to be able to wake up get my numbers down so I can feel good during the day. Or I had a Peloton bike. I would ride that to get my numbers down and feel good for the day. And on top of my normal workout. So I was just kind of like burning myself out, trying to have good numbers and still be able to be competitive in CrossFit or really just feel good and be able to show up for my clients and the classes that I was coaching. So was it almost like your bloods for this period of time were just like consistently trying to trend higher and you were then quite literally using exercise as a medication to bring it back down? Yeah, that's pretty, yeah, that's exactly it. Oh, like at first I thought, well, maybe I drink a lot of water. And then I read that even if I drink water, the sugar or the glucose in my blood system would have to flush through uh, my kidneys, which would make my kidneys bad. So I was like, okay, so maybe water isn't the route. The only thing I know that really works well is just to exercise more. Yeah. And that's, that's pretty much just all I did was just exercise more. And I just try to keep it low impact. So I didn't have too much effects on my knees or my shoulders or anything like that. But my numbers would just consistently, especially when I woke up in the morning, my numbers would always be high, 275, close to 300. So already starting a day off, not feeling well. That's crazy. So like, I'm, I'm even relating the decks to my own life, like my own perspective or experience with diabetes, you know? And if I am high for any period of time, I just don't feel good. But for you, had th- this was going on for like 10 years that you were just consistently trending higher. And the only way you were bringing your bloods back down was with exercise. And in turn that exercise almost led to further burnout or fatigue because you were exercising so much. Yeah. I mean, there was, there were times where I, uh, I, I like, I just couldn't bring myself to get up and work out. And, and then that's, that's when I like had to decide like, well, do you work out and feel better or do you not work out and not feel better? And um, like we were talking about before, before we started recording, like I've always worked a lot. And just being in like the fitness field and especially like being a personal trainer or when I'm coaching classes, like people look to me for their energy. And Mm -hmm. so I felt like it was my responsibility to make sure that I was in the best place to be at work. So, yeah, like as much as I like wanted to give up and like stop, I, I felt like I had so many people looking to me as their motivation. So I just kept kept to it. I mean, luckily I got the right diagnosis because I don't know how long I probably, I mean, 10 years of that, I don't know how long I could have kept up with that. So within that 10 year period, 
Were you taking any insulin? No, not non-insulin, no insulin at all. And it's crazy because, you know, like a lot of people don't really know much about diabetes, but I would like meet people and they'd be like, hey, I have some insulin pins if you want to take them or anything like that. And I'm like, no, nah, that's not the type of diabetes I have. But I was sometimes I wonder like if I would have took it and just like, I don't know, I definitely not under doctor supervision. So something could have went wrong, but I always wonder like what would happen if I would have used what people were trying to give me to see what it does <laughs> to my numbers. So like yeah. I was like, pretty much desperate at that point. Yeah, exactly. So self-treatment and yeah. So I like, I, I, I wish, I wish I would have listened to people sooner. Like I would go to these diabetes events and they would always say like, go, go get the test done, go get the test done. And I'm just like, no, like, why would my, why would my doctors not know? And like, knowing what I know about the medical field now, especially surrounding diabetes, like I encourage everyone to try to get a second opinion before they start any kind of like diabetes management or anything like that. So had you been given any clarity then Dex around like what was actually going on with your body over that 10 years? Because what I'm kind of saying to myself in my head is surely you were producing or secreting some amount of insulin because if we don't have insulin, essentially we die. That, yeah, there must have been some some kind of amount of insulin that I was producing. And I know that I think glipizide helps squeeze out more insulin. Okay. So I think that's why that works so well for me in the beginning. So yeah, I'm not extremely sure about how much, but I know some of the medication I was on, at least that's what I was told, was help, was supposed to help with insulin production. Well, it was enough, thankfully. It yeah. was enough. <laughs> exactly. You know? So how did this feel day to day, just physically? Um, I used to know I was just always tired. That was the, the biggest thing. Like, I honestly don't even know how I was able to work the amount of times or hours a day that I was working when I was feeling the way I was feeling. And... A lot of times it was like, which probably didn't help my um, glucose levels at all, but I'd just be caffeinated, super caffeinated energy drinks or three or four lattes a day and just just grinding it out as much as I can until I got home. And then when I got home, it's kind of just like I shut down, um, just needed the rest and restart and all of that. But yeah, it's just not, I don't know, like... Even now, like sometimes when my numbers get high, I'm like, I don't even know how I ever dealt with this before. So what do you feel then was the the turning point for you to go get that second opinion to finally be diagnosed with type one? Um, it was really just actually talking to the uh, diabetes care specialist at 9am.health. And that was actually the first time I probably should have talked to a specialist a lot sooner but the first time I ever talked to a specialist and she just encouraged me to get the test and um yeah and after after the test like that was that was it I was <laughs> pretty happy to figure out that I can manage my diabetes in a better way than I have and <laughs> yeah it's been like I don't know it's crazy how much better I feel like I don't wake up with high um blood glucose anymore I'm eating more food. I like, I love rice. I can finally eat rice again. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, it's just, it's felt like a, it feels like a whole different world. I'm enjoying restaurants more. Like if the, my, the menu isn't like limited to low carb or just eating salads and yeah, like I kind of just wish I would have 
again, listen to the people that I met before and advocated for myself to get a different opinion about my diagnosis. So was it almost like a sense of relief having this clarified that you are type one and now I would imagine quite instantly you were, you were put on insulin? Yeah. So it wasn't a relief right away because after 10 years of managing diabetes, I was a little skeptical, but, uh, okay. but within like the first week, my numbers were just so much better. And then that's when it's like, okay, all right, this, this makes sense. Now everything I'm doing is, is the correct way to manage my diabetes versus before. But yeah, I don't know. After 10 years of the wrong diagnosis, I'm like, I don't know, even know if this is the right thing to do, but <laughs> yeah, found out fast. Oh, I, I, I hope yeah. it is. I hope it is. I'm sure it is. Yeah, for sure. So you obviously start taking your insulin, your bloods settle down as, as they should when you take insulin and you feel a lot better. I would imagine physically, mentally, and emotionally as a result of that. For sure. Emotionally. Um, <laughs> Uh, I've definitely had relationships in the past where I know my blood glucose levels were probably the cause of some arguments and probably breakups as well. So luckily now with, uh, the girl I'm dating now, my numbers are a lot better. And, um, a lot of those issues I had in the past when dating is definitely not the same anymore. So, so much more <laughs> patient. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's one of the biggest blessings, um, from starting insulin. It's just to be so, more myself. Absolutely. And I think that's something that I touch on on the podcast a lot and particularly with guests to the impact of the feeling physically with high and low blood sugars, but even just that kind of irritable, impatient, stressed out feeling that you have when you're high. And I'm like, if I'm high, it, I just need to be by myself because I'm way too impatient and I'm way too irritable and snappy that I just don't even want to be around people. Yeah, that's the same, same. Um, and I've tried to explain that in the past to like, or just friends, families, uh, girls I was in relationships with, you know, if you're not diabetic, you don't really understand mm. like how, how a person's feeling. And yeah, a lot of times, I mean, I'm kind of a introvert anyway, but a lot of times I just kind of needed to be alone with myself just to kind of like, all right, why are you feeling this way? Next time you get back into that situation, like what can you do differently? But, you know, when you're feeling that way, even though you think about it, like you still get snappy and and your mood can change so fast. Hmm. Was there any difference for your decks in relation to your your reaction or your response to your type two diagnosis and then ultimately your type one diagnosis? Were you phased by your type one diagnosis as much? Um, no, I wasn't phased as much. Um, and like the, the initial diagnosis was shocking just because I felt like I was doing everything right to not develop type two diabetes. And then with this diagnosis, it was more of, okay, um, let's, let's try something else is to kind of pivot to using insulin to see if that helps and still pretty optimistic about what I could do. But it wasn't, it wasn't, definitely wasn't as much as a shock just because I've been living with diabetes um, for the last 10 years. So for that whole 10 year period then, Dex, had you experienced any low blood sugars? Um, I don't think so. Um, 
I remember having a CGM on and it said that I was low, but when I actually uh, pricked my finger and checked, I wasn't that low. But yeah, not as far as I remember. I don't remember having any lows. Maybe once. Something's in my mind. Maybe once. But other than that, no, I didn't really have any lows. So I'm guessing since you've started taking insulin, you have had lows. Yeah, I've had quite a bit, especially in um, in the beginning, trying to figure out the right dosage. Um, and that's a whole different feeling in itself. <laughs> um, so what was it like for you? Because I, I almost can't really remember my first hypo. And I suppose if I do think back, maybe I can kind of remember the feeling around it and like the confusion of what the hell's going on, you know, but can you vividly remember your first hypo? Yeah. Um, I was at boxing and, um, warming up. I was doing the warm up, feeling pretty good for the most part. And I would say we started drilling the combo for the day, started to feel a little weird and just the dumb athlete in me is like, well, just push through it, just push through it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then by the time the class was over, like I got dressed and I'm like, why am I still sweating so much? I like, I need to sit down, I need to find somewhere to go. Luckily there's a cafe next door. I order food, sat down and, and then like by then was, everything was foggy. Someone was trying to talk to me that I didn't know. Lucky enough, the food came and I ordered orange juice with it. It was kind of like a, late breakfast kind of thing. And I drank the orange juice. And luckily I drank the orange juice because that's when things started to change. And then I, I realized, oh, my glucose is low. <laughs> and yeah, it was just kind of confusing, sweating a lot. I can't believe how much I was sweating and not being active. So it was kind of crazy. Yeah. And then luckily my numbers started to come up and I tested. And when I tested, I think I was like at a 71 and I was after drinking the orange juice. So I don't even know how low I got before that do you feel as if you were well prepared for your type 1 diagnosis considering the fact that you had obviously been so involved within the type the, like the diabetes community the, the diabetes world up to that point i would imagine dex you kind of had a good sense of highs and lows and management as a whole and do you feel because of that you were almost just more prepared in general for it Oh yeah, for sure. Just being a part of the community for so long and I've like met so many people who have type one or type two and like listen to their stories or being around them and watching them manage their diabetes. I definitely felt way more equipped to start insulin. And my diabetes care specialist, I mean, she was so great. Like she sent me all the info I needed. And even after like I, I had that low and, and like I wrote her and like, she was like, all right, this is what we need to do. We need to change this and change that. So definitely, I feel like I got the hang of it um, pretty quickly. Last week, I actually did a, a event with just my type and she put on a kids event and um, watching those kids manage their diabetes was probably one of the most inspiring things that I've ever seen. Like so all, all the kids were type one and they like knew how much insulin they need to take and um, how many carbs they had to eat or how much insulin to take with the carbs they were eating. And just like that, it's like being around in that environment, definitely not only like now where I think I have a, a hang of it, but watching them manage it, like definitely helped me. Um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, 
I don't know, it just really just helped me kind of like hone in on my management, especially now with um, insulin. Mm. I think that's the fascinating thing about type one as a whole is the fact that, and again, I've said on the podcast plenty of times, it's like all type one diabetes is the same, but no type one diabetic is the same. And even though you're obviously a full grown man and you've had plenty more life experiences, I, I would imagine, than the kids that you met. But it's almost like they're experts in their own right because they might have been living with it for a number of years and it's kind of become second nature despite the fact that somebody might only be five, six, seven, eight years old. So was there any kind of main tips that any of the kids had given you that helped you in your own management? Um, that It was no really, not really any tips, but just watching them like their diabetes didn't seem like it was a burden to them at all. Like, like they accepted that they have diabetes and this is how they live their life. And that was, that was the most inspiring part about it was, and I don't know if it's because they were in a group of other diabetics as well, but it was just like, they like figured out life. <laughs> I don't know. It was just like, I didn't see any worry in their eyes or anything like that. And I'm sure they probably have times where it's like that, but it was just really inspiring to see how, how they live with type 1 diabetes at such a young age and seem to just accept what it is and know what they have to do to keep themselves well. That was part one of this episode. If you are listening to this on the day of the release, part two will be out tomorrow. But if you're listening on any other day, part two is the next episode on our list. 